it's Brandi Taylor. Welcome to the Business Beauty Network Podcast, where business meets beauty. It's not just lipstick, it's business. We will share thought-provoking conversations with business and beauty professionals. Our goal is to empower, motivate, and inspire you to take your business to the next level. Hey everyone, it's Brandy. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I absolutely enjoy bringing this awesome content to you. Look, beauty professionals, this show is for you. And I want to make sure we can continue to bring our awesome guests and awesome information to help empower the beauty community all over the world. You can help by doing your part in making a small donation. You can check our link in the show notes and donate right on Anchor, or we'll have another link available for you to do so. Thank you so much for supporting. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and you're sharing it as well. As always, stay great. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to share today's episode with you. Happy Monday. It's a new day. It's a new week and a new episode of the Business Beauty Network podcast. I have an awesome show in store for you today. But before we get into all of that, let's make sure you hit that subscribe button. Wherever you're listening to this podcast app, make sure you're subscribed. Also, if you're on Apple, leave us a review. A five-star review really helps. Let us know how you're enjoying the show. Make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, sharing is caring. So share this podcast out to anyone you think will benefit from this awesome information that is shared on this podcast every week. And tag me. Follow me on Instagram at IamBrandyTaylor and tag me in your favorite episode, screenshot it, put it in the stories. But let's connect there for sure. I had a great conversation, guys, with Dana White. She is the owner of Paralee Boyd. She's, in fact, one of the first African-American women to franchise a salon business. And when I tell you she's business, she's business. But what I love about her is she's definitely down to earth and just open to sharing her journey. And she did just that during this interview that we had today. She took us through starting the salon, opening it up. The salon apparently Boyd is named after her grandmother. She originally opened it in 2012 in Southfield, Michigan, and she closed that location in 2020. She has a flagship location that she opened roughly about four years ago or so, and now she's franchising this business, allowing other owners to become owners and buy into this franchise. And I think it's phenomenal that she's an African-American woman that's from my local area that's making some huge strides with her business. I know there's so much more to come. She plans to open many locations. I think she said up to 100 locations. But she shared so many nuggets and so much knowledge about the entrepreneurial journey. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. In fact, let me know how you enjoy it. Tag me, tag Dana, share it on um, Instagram and Facebook, but let us know how you're enjoying it. You can also email me at hello at businessbeautynetwork.com. So if you have any show suggestions or topics or just want to reach out to us, email us at hello at businessbeautynetwork.com. But this is an awesome episode and I hope you enjoy it. And here it goes. Hey, it's your host, Brandy Taylor. We have an awesome guest today, Dana White. Welcome, Dana. Hey, Brandy. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on. So Dana, before we get all into your business and all the awesome things you're doing, tell us something about yourself that most people would not know. Oh, wow. Great question. Um, I used to be a semi-pro rugby player. Yeah. 
that. And well, that's back in the day, but now um, I've taken up uh, skeet and clay shooting or yeah, sporting clay and skeet shooting as my, you know, self-care, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm not yeah. familiar with it. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, how do you, you know, how's that sport work? So um, do you mean rugby or, or shooting? The shooting. Like, okay. are you... Yeah, you've seen it in a ton of movies. You know, when you've got somebody standing there with a shotgun yelling, pull, that's, yes, I've okay. taken that up. Yeah, that's skeet shooting um, and then skeet or trap shooting. Um, and then sporting clays is when you're in more like of a scenic area that actually looks like you're hunting and you go from station to station and you don't know where it's going to come out from. But um, with skeet shooting, you have an idea from the high house or the low house, which one it's going to come out based on which post you're standing at. So um, like practicing and getting good at that, I'm going to be taking that back up um, soon. So that's something. And I used to play rugby. I started from 18 and played to about 30 semi-pro rugby. So that was not a lot of people know that. <laughs> Cool. Thanks so much for sharing. I'm not really familiar. Like I've never been hunting or shooting or anything like that before, yeah, but that sounds yeah. like a cool hobby. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It feels really good. I remember when I first started it like a couple of years ago and I said, oh, I love this. <laughs> it felt really good. And I found out that my grandfather, um, who was also an entrepreneur, was also an award-winning shooter. So a lot of this is in the gene. I didn't even know it. I just picked up a gun and I had a penchant for it. And then someone said, you know, your grandfather was an award-winning shooter. I said, are you serious? I said, oh yeah, a ton of rifles and shotguns. So it came to me kind of naturally and I love it. Yeah, it's in your veins for sure. <laughs> so tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. Like I, I know what you're doing now, but I know this is the start of the journey. So take us along your journey. Man, it started, you know, like Biggie Small. It was all the dream. No, sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right? No, it was. It was, it was all the dream. Um, I was in a Dominican hair salon called Yoli's in Uniondale, Long Island back in 2005, 2006. And I went every week on Sunday and I noticed how soon I got in, how soon I got out. And I noticed how great my hair was doing. I noticed how many people were there. Um, and I also noticed that there were some things that they needed that they never really put into place. So I just kept watching. And I noticed when I would come back to Michigan and visit family, that they were just getting their hair done the exact same way. Something else I noticed, Brandy, was that a lot of women were making lifestyle, um, lifestyle decisions based on their hair, how much they worked out, they did not swim, um, where they went to school, you know, where, you know, a lot of things were based on where can I get a stylist or, you know, I'm going to go here, but is there somebody that who can do my hair while I'm here? There were women who wore their hair short and curly because they were tired of doing it. Um, there are women who wore dreadlocks because they were tired of doing it. And I was like, gosh, well, why does our hair dictate so much of where we, what we do, where we go to school, how we wear our hair? Um, and so I started to notice that in New York, where I lived, that wasn't necessarily the case. They did what they wanted to do because they had access to do everything. 
Um, and then I said, you know what, let me see about the business model of this. And so I went ahead and looked into that. And next thing I know, I'm pursuing it. When I wasn't working, I would get off work, uh, go to the gym, sometimes hang out with friends, but most times find myself in a coffee shop in Brooklyn working on this business plan. What was it? Great. So you saw a need, like you're going to the salon and mm-hmm. you saw this need because you saw something that wasn't there for, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, everyone to um, receive those types of services that you receive from the Dominican people that you receive services from. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I love, I love hearing people's story because it's like, we, most people see a need, but we are always create a solution. Right. So how did you decide that uh, this was the business for you and you were, you were going to create this solution and come up with a salon? That's a great question because it wasn't my first business idea. It was the one that it was the, the dream, right? So I started other, you know, another business kind of, you know, putting my big toe in the water. And I decided to take the jump because I said, if somebody else were to do it, or if it's something that doesn't get done, I'll be sick to my stomach. And I'll always wonder if I would have, could have, should have. And my, gra- my great grandmother always used to say, it's almost like her mantra, never say if I would have, could have, should have, just do it, just do it. So I did, and that's how I decided. It was a feeling. It was something that said, you know what? You can do these other businesses and you can make money. Um, but the money isn't my driver. The solution to the problem and giving women that look like us, you and I, and women with thick and curly hair, um, another layer of freedom, being able to go and do whatever you want, knowing that when I'm done, if I want to go swimming today, if I'm at a pool party and somebody pushes me in, I can get up the next day or later on that day and walk into a Paralee Boyd and get my hair done and walk out and not have to worry about it. So when you were coming up with your business plan, um, did you think that it would be hard for you to start this business because you didn't have a background in the beauty industry or like, what was that process like? Not at all. I had talked to several business owners who were successful, who weren't, you know, I had, I knew a guy who owned a restaurant. He wasn't a restaurateur, you know, he wasn't a chef. Um, I knew a guy who, um, I knew a young lady who had two or three nail salons in Brooklyn and she wasn't an esthetician. Um, And then lastly, my hairstylist in New York, his name is Roberto. And I was going to go to school that year. I took off between, you know, leaving my career and starting this business. I was going to go to school in New York. And he looked at me, we were, he had finished my hair and we were in a salon. And he said, why would you do that? And I said, because I'm going to open a salon. And he said, every time you talk about your business, you talk about the business. You don't talk about the latest flat irons. You don't talk about the latest products. You don't talk about the latest hairstyles. You talk about the processes open a business and just hire great people. And I said, but Roberto, you're a stylist. And he goes, exactly. Look at my salon. It's a mess. I'm not a businessman. (laughs) He goes, it's a mess in here. Come and look. So we had some wine and some plastic cups and we sat there and talked about it. He said, don't waste your time going to school this year. Work on your business. And that was it. Sounds like some great advice. Mm-hmm. So you got the business plan, you got the idea, you you know you want to create a solution. Like, was it, did you have any um, hurdles? Uh, what was that like? Once you got the plan together, then what was the next step? Like, 
take us through along your journey and in, in the process of um, starting your salon. That's great. So the next step was, where am I going to put this? And it was between Detroit and Brooklyn. Um, I was nervous about starting in Brooklyn because there were Dominican salons all over the place. And I didn't know if that market would be receptive to what I deemed a new and improved salon. Um, and I was nervous about starting in Detroit because there was only one here. Uh, and I had been away from Detroit for almost 10 years. So a lot had changed in the 10 years since I had been gone. Um, I chose Detroit because I knew that I was going to launch a national brand. I, and I felt Detroit deserved a brand to be launched nationally from Detroit. I, you know, a lot of businesses go to New York, Chicago, Atlanta, LA, and then they come to Detroit. And having been in business almost 10 years, I understand why. Right. There, there's a couple meetings in the ladies' rooms I'd like to have with myself, you know, in my apartment in Brooklyn while I'm working on that business plan. I'd like to say, okay, Dana, if I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to her and say, let's talk. But um, I moved here. And so um, I, I the part of the process after I, I and I didn't formally write a business plan. I didn't. Um, I had copious notes and I was a part of the Kauffman Foundation's free program that took you through the major buckets of entrepreneurship, but I didn't type out an executive summary and, and do financial projections. I didn't do all of that. I, I just had an idea of how I wanted it to work. And then I looked at locations and then there, my first location came up in Southfield um, and we were there until 2020. Okay. Now, was it when you started your uh, first location, um, did you have to get seek funding or was it self-funded? How did you go about that? I had money. I had some money left over and some money saved up. Um, I had about $30,000. Um, so fortunately, I found a space that was already a salon and I could make it my own. Um, you know, hindsight, wow, what a great job, right? You know, when I look at my Midtown build out, which was you know, upwards of $200,000. And I look at the money I used to start in Southfield, very different. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was the, the crux of it. And, and also um, I kept my apartment in New York City while I opened um, and being able to rent that apartment out, um, that helped, you know, that extra funding helped that, those gap months when, you know, payroll was a little tight. Um, rent was a little tight, you know, great. You know, you've got someone stay in your apartment in Brooklyn um, for the next month on a corporate account. So I was able to do that and build the business while the business was growing. Um, there's so much I didn't know. If I could go back and make the decision to open in Southfield, I would say three things, marketing, 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 marketing. I built it just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> that was what was so tough. I it. And I opened and I opened and we were kind of standing there. That's how it goes sometimes. I guess we think like if we build it, they will come, but they, they're not going to come. You have to tell them to come, you right? To them. You, have you have to, to invite them. them. Mm -hmm. You got to tell them repeatedly. So I had some flyers made and I started handing out flyers um, because, you know, my perception on marketing was a big firm does your marketing campaign and so i wasn't savvy to social media and again back in 2012 it, it was just getting started the whole social media advertising um i didn't do instagram until recently right i'm so in it um i'm not you know taking my head out of the hole i'm digging to tell people so we're working we're still we're still working on that 
still working on marketing, marketing, marketing. So was it a hard process building your team? Mm-hmm. It was very hard. Um, it was hard because there's no industry standard for what I'm doing. When you have a restaurant, there's an industry standard. Waiters and waitresses, you know, service staff and back of the house, in front of the house, they know here's an industry standard. And so building the team and getting that team to see my vision and, you know, and trying to encourage them to relinquish traditional hair care was hard. Um, hiring somebody who wants to come and put their business cards up at the front desk and you have to say, no, 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 that's not this salon. I'm like, okay, so what do you mean? Um, trying to get people's head around the revolutionary nature of that of this business was tough at first, especially because I wasn't a stylist. Um, and so it was like, okay, what are you doing? And a lot of times the team felt, oh, young girl had a little money, thought she tried something. Um, I got a text message from a former employee who eventually worked at a dry bar salon, a blow dry bar, who texted me years later and said, I finally see what you were trying to do. Sorry, I was a nightmare, but I finally see what you were trying to do. So that was the biggest challenge, trying to buck over 100 years of black hair care tradition um, with my staff and with my customers. Yes, because tell us about um, Pearly Boy, your salon, uh, because you've hit some awesome milestones, you're franchising this thing. And so you you definitely had a vision for, for, you know, expanding and doing all that. Because sometimes, like, most people say, I want to open a salon, right? So they open mm-hmm. a salon, in which you did that. But mm-hmm. you didn't stop there. You want to, you don't want to open 20 plus salons. So hundreds, yeah. Yeah, hundred. Oh, 150 mm-hmm. plus. So yeah, tell us about this. That's always been the vision. Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel. I worked in Pakistan. I've worked in the Middle East. I've seen a lot of a lot of this country and women that look like me face the same problem everywhere. Finding someone who can do our hair, finding someone who has enough product knowledge to put the products in our hair that are gonna support our hair. Um, A lot of times we're being sold as opposed to being cared for. And so I wanted to create a business that cared for them first. You know, at Paralee Boyd, we're quick to talk you out of something. Yes, it's it's a higher bill, but if it's not what's good for your hair right now, we don't wanna sell it to you. Um, if you don't need a trim, we're not going to give you a trim. If you don't need a relaxer, we're not going to give you a relaxer. Um, and so that was that was challenging. Again, getting the mindset to shift around who we are, what we are, and what we're doing. The vision has always been to be an international brand. I didn't know how I was going to achieve it, but I knew I was a passion to solve this problem for women everywhere because women are dealing with this problem everywhere, especially the ones that look like me. So what solution does your salon chain provide? It, so we're walking only seven days a week and we do a basic maintenance blow and go service for $50. That, you know, being open on a Sunday, you know, we've had a lady come in recently who called in and said, can I please come in? I left church, I came home, fried some fish. I have a meeting tomorrow and this fish is all in my hair. I cannot have this medium raw with this fish smell in my hair. Of course, right? Just come on in. What time do you close? Six o'clock. All right, I'm on my way, right? Um, And getting her in and out. Um, That is amazing. Having a father tell me that he has his Saturdays back with his wife and daughter because they can come in, you know, at at the time in Southfield, nine o'clock in the morning, um, be one of our first customers and be back home or on the soccer pitch for her soccer meet by 1130. 
and would have been sooner had he not forgot her soccer cleats. You know, it's just little things like that. A young lady who's like, you know what? I think I'm going to join the swim team because I can come Tuesdays after practice and Saturdays after meets and get my hair done. Um, that's what we offer that's different. We're not trying to usurp or supplant your current stylist. We want you to go to your current stylist. We want you to get that cut, that color, because that makes our job easier. And the treatments and things that we provide at Purely Void make it easier for your stylist to do your hair um, because you're getting a steam treatment or a sugar scalp scrub or a CBD hair growth treatment. All of those things that they work together. That's how I see it. Okay, interesting, interesting. I like the way you put that because it's like, you're not asking them to leave their stylist. It's just like, you're creating a solution mm-hmm. for, you know, in between time when they can't mm-hmm. get to their style, uh, something where, cause you guys are open seven days a week, right? Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven days a week. So it's like, I could go in on a Sunday. I could go in any day of the week and mm-hmm. get a blow and go and get a treatment. Mm-hmm. you know, for in between. And, and I know that, you know, maintenance with our hair isn't the easiest, right? It can be challenging. It, it can, can be challenging sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that's an interesting solution. I didn't realize that was, you know, how it was set up exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this new flagship location. Yeah. So Midtown has been open going on four years this December. Um, and we originally had two locations, but with COVID, I decided Um, to close the Southfield location. I just, I no longer felt the location suited our brand um, and the vision for where we were going. When people wanted to come and talk about my expansion, even though Southfield was the the location that carried the most volume, Midtown was the flagship. Midtown is the salon by which I'd like all other salons based on. Um, So in 2020, I won uh, Detroit Demo Day. I was the grand prize winner. And I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with the money now that I've gotten it? Um, I had, you know, a very long conversation with my team um, who are experienced with franchising. And they said, you have a franchise model if I've never seen one. I had considered franchising, you know, pre-COVID-19, but didn't really have the funds. It is a very expensive process. That's why I believe there are very few African-American franchisors. Um, it's well into the six figures to, to franchise a business. Um, and so I decided uh, this year, early this year to franchise um, because, you know, waiting, I, I didn't, Detroit is not a primary beauty market. It might be the hair capital of the world, but it's not the hair business capital of the world. It's not the personal care capital of the world. Um, Detroit, Michigan is a tertiary hair care market. Um, And I think with Detroit's uh, population decline, I think a lot of my brothers and sisters in the personal care world, be they barbers or nail salons or other stylists are starting to feel that this this is not the place where you would expand right? Where you would have two and three and four locations. That's another reason why I'm glad um, I shut down the first location because I don't think we need to in Metro Detroit. Um, Even though we were doing okay, um, I I don't think we needed to. Um, And and I'm open to reopening the Southfield location. I've got a lot of requests to do so. Um, But my goal is on the 35 plus very viable inquiries we have from people around the country. Uh, my interest is also with the military, um, who has been on the phone with me 
to open up Paralee Boyd salons at their military installations and bases around the world. This morning's call was with the European division, um, talking about putting me in Germany, the UK, Italy, and Kuwait. So that's the vision. Um, and putting this business, this flagship location, having that be the standard so people can come and see this is how we do what we do, um, but also putting it in locations where the population is more dense and we can really put some, put some energy and see the legs of this business model. Awesome, awesome. So the, the franchise uh, process, I hear it could be hard. I know you said it was yeah. expensive. I hear it could be very difficult to do. And that's probably why you're one of the first Black people to do it in a salon chain. So as you think about scaling and everything, you know, you, you've, uh, you know, shut down that location, you have this Detroit location, as you think about scaling and helping other people open their Curly Boyd salon, you know, what has been like, you know, the process, what has that process been like? Has it been any challenges? Like share the journey of that. Here's the thing. I'm fortunate enough to work with a franchise consultant team that make it easy, right? What makes it challenging for me is not being pulled in 59,473 other things, right? And so if franchising was all I had to do, oh, you know, no problem. It's still involved because at the end of the day, I'm the boss. And in as much consultation as they can give me, I have to make decisions thinking 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 locations. Um, and then also leaving room to adapt based on region. You know, what might work in Michigan may not work in Texas. And so leaving that operations manual open um, to be able to do that. There's a lot of legal work involved in franchising, operations, sales, training. And another piece as far as the franchising that you're not really going to see in your usual franchise is the cultural training and immersion. Again, Paralee Boyd is bucking over 100 years of hair care tradition. If I do not have a cultural immersion or training, we'll have, you know, 100 Paralee Boyd locations that are all very different. Um, I have to make a culture around what it means to be a lady and a guest of Paralee Boyd, what it means to be a staff member of a Paralee Boyd. So we don't replicate the hiccups that happened when I first opened, where there is no standard. That is the heavy crown of being the first. You have to set the first, just like Ray Kroc had to say, this is how you work in a quick service restaurant. There was no quick service restaurant prior to McDonald's. And so he too bumped his head with staff that were so used to doing things a certain way he had to train them and indoctrinate them into the McDonald's culture. So I have to train my new franchisees and their staff into the culture of Paralee Boy and the way we do hair care. Yes, yes. And definitely I can see uh, that is, is important and needed in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just having a standard. And like you said, it wasn't many things in place for you to go off of. In right. our in the beauty industry, so I know you probably had to you know look at other industries, like you would say the restaurant industry and all mm -hmm. of those things. And so I think was was another thing that's great about you doing this is that you're actually paving the way for other people, I you know, so. other black people that want mm -hmm. a franchise that want to open. You're paving the way for us, and you're mm -hmm. created a solution. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
that that is needed in our yeah. in our industry and in our community for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, for us. I think it's time. Um, I think it's indicative of our racial climate in this country, the fact that nobody's done it prior. Um, you know, I think it's also indicative, you know, when it comes to getting investment dollars, which I'm not going to take, but when I have talked to, you know, investment people, they're like, no, it's not something. And it's like, you just, they don't get it. There is no data that shows how much black women spend per year getting their hair done. You and I know it ends in billion, right? Um, you know, I know they report how much money African-American women spend on hair care products and that's three to 5 billion. And I said, you can bet your bottom dollar. It's almost double that to get their hair done. I almost promise you it's billions of dollars. And, but we don't know that because every stylist is an individual stylist, right? Every style, you know, I've asked my stylist of stylists that I know, a young lady, I know, Hey, what are your margins? <laughs> she looks at me like, what, what do you mean? Um, do you, do you, do you use a profit and loss sheet? Do you use a balance sheet? Do you know? No, no. Um, everything is done through either style seat or some people are still writing out their appointments in a book or their text messages. So, and they're definitely not keeping track of that. A lot of it is cash sometimes. So, so they're definitely not reporting all of their sales. Yes. Um, and so that's where, but to an investment person, if there's no data, then the business doesn't exist. And I say, well, what was the data for traffic for Henry Ford? What was the soft drink data and beverage data for Coca-Cola? And the fact that I look like I do, and I'm coming with this idea almost causes them to dismiss it because in their world, we people that look like me don't have ideas, not this new, right? They're not that innovative, right? People like us are doing another restaurant, another car thing, another, uh, people like us are imitators. I actually had someone say that to me. Well, you know, people like you imitate. I said, well, no, not this one. This one innovates. Wow, so. wow. That's interesting. Um, I think part of it is, is that if you Google like what an average hairstylist makes in Michigan, it's gonna be like, what, 29,000? That's what it says, right? They make so, a lot more. Right, they make a lot more. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's part of the reason why I do what I do, because I understand mm -hmm. that while we are very talented at, you know, what we do, like, you know, Black hairstylists and mm -hmm. beauty professionals are like some of the most talented people in the world, I believe. Exactly. Oh, I believe so. Yeah. But... But the business side, like you said, you're talking to people about profit and loss, like what, huh? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So, so because they're not properly reporting, they're not properly tracking, they don't have the business piece down. Mm -hmm. And that's makes it seem like our industry isn't viable when it really is. It really mm -hmm. is viable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, so that's my goal. I want us to really show and, you know, show and tell, improve, and not be afraid of that. You know, have a legit business, be a successful beautypreneur, and not be afraid of, you know, getting things in order and tapping into the unknown and getting the help and hiring out and, you know, mm -hmm. investing in yourself and in your business and so that you can get those things in order. And that's what I work with my clients on. That's a part of the thing what I do with the podcast is I want to educate beautypreneurs on the business side of beauty we got mm -hmm. the art down we got the craft down but mm -hmm. we need to know how to operate business for sure I agree and we're and, and as a people Brandy we're not taught that 
as a people, we're not taught to own, we're taught to work, Mm -hmm. right? We're taught to get up, go to work every day and that's fine. But for, I think as our culture evolves, we need to teach the very things that you're impassioned about. We need to teach not only to own, but tell them what ownership means. And here's the other thing about ownership outside of working for, we need to instill a basic business acumen the best way we can in the ways we can, right? They're not teaching it at schools, right? African-American hairstylists don't go to beauty school to learn how to do black hair. They not go to school to get a license, exactly. Right? But they, they learn how to do the hair in the basements and the kitchens and the salons of other people that look like them. Um, but what I'm finding is that I've been fortunate enough to work internationally. I've been fortunate enough to work in corporate America. So that has given me um, a certain business acumen that I had taken for granted until I came to this industry. Uh, I didn't know that when I called a meeting with you know, my leadership team, I would have to tell them to bring a pen and paper, right? When we we're putting a, together the agenda for the staff meeting. Um, I didn't know that I would have to tell some people in this industry what an agenda was, right? They're, this is not their world. And my um, stylist trainer who will be working with me as we train franchisees and as we work with the military said, you have to understand, I've been doing hair for 30 years. I wouldn't have known to do that because I'm behind the chair and this is my world right here. And so that is, it's, it's not enough just to say ownership. You have to equip them with the tools to own. And what does that mean? What is business acumen? What does it mean? How do you show up? How do you represent yourself in the business world? And then how and teach them how to take care of business and what that means. Maybe not to perfection, but a lot of the people in the industry right now don't know. And and several do. Um, And several are learning as they go. Um, But I've had the privilege of being exposed to a lot, even from a young age, not maybe in the hair industry. I had a very dear friend of mine who talked about black entrepreneurship, being a black business owner. And we, we learned after our conversation that where she's from, a black person who owned a business meant he, could, he or she couldn't get a job, right? <laughs> but where I'm from, when somebody owned a business, they were at the pinnacle of their career. They couldn't go any higher at the company. So they started it on their own. Um, the other thing is that we noticed the difference that where she's from, black business ownership meant self-employed, right? The business doesn't open or close without me. Where I'm from, no, that's how you start. And then over short periods of time, you replace yourself, right? You're not the one answering the phone month six, right? Month six, you have, you've made enough revenue to pay somebody else to answer the phone. Um, and you jump in when you need to, but you only grow the business when you're working on the business, not when you're working in the business. So we just had two, from a young age, we had two very different mindsets around how to operate in a business. And she asked me, how is it that you're at two locations? You're never at either one of them. And I said, because I've hired beyond capable staff um, to run it. Now I still run my business, um, but I don't need to be there to run it. I have had to be there a lot more because again, I'm bucking over a hundred years of tradition. And so you have to be there to say, nope, not this way, this way, and put the training in place to get it done. Great. 
Now, since you're you're not to be not traditionally from the beauty industry, so you come from outside and you are more of a business background. Can you tell us like what have you learned about the beauty industry that you know something interesting you've learned about the beauty industry since you've you know owned your salon and opened up in Southfield? How creative they are how they've always been creative. The people I've met in the beauty industry are very creative um, in their lane. Um, and they're true to their lane and they're committed to their lane. The people that want to do hair are hairstylists through and through. Um, that there is a tribe of people and that they're very creative. That's what I've learned. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey thus far? That there's no such thing as fear. Well, there's no such thing as failure. It's a myth. I used to spend the first years of my business running from the boogeyman of failure, right? Um, thinking, oh my God, if I make this one wrong decision, if I, if I put this money in here versus here, I'm this much closer to failing. Um, and after almost eight years in, I've learned through a former mentor of mine that failure is a myth. Failure is a choice. Um, you can choose to close, which some people say, oh, you had the, you know, the, the highest volume salon, you closed it, you failed. No, I chose. I could have stayed open. I chose to close it. Um, so there, you know, people are worried about, you know, I haven't paid this bill. I owe this amount of money. Um, they're going to come and shut me down. No, no. Um, you have to handle your business. You have to get your head out of the sand, which is a challenge for me. I like my head is in the sand. It's nice and warm. And I find comfort with my head in the sand sometimes. Um, but you have to have people around you who tap you on your shoulder and say, you know, you got to get your head out of the sand and you got to get to work. Um, it's great to expand. But you've got to do the work um, for balls that were dropped behind you. And, and I struggle with that. Uh, so for me, you know, failure, the biggest lessons I've learned is that, and it sounds so strange for to say that, but it's true. Failure is a myth. It's, there's no such thing. You'd be surprised that how many decisions that devastate us were a series of choices that led us to that, to that, to that situation. It's a myth. This episode is sponsored by Coleman Tax, helping you see the beauty in your numbers. Coleman Tax is a boutique tax firm that exclusively serves beautypreneurs. We help you save money by using tax planning and by getting your beauty business finances organized for you to make the best decisions for your business. Book your free tax strategy call at thebeautycpa.com. So what are you excited about right now? Randy, oh my goodness. The call I had this morning, that was major. To be on the phone with the Air Force, Army and Air Force Exchange, Military, European Division, and thinking it's just going to be a, hey, how you doing call? And no, these are actually the one, two, three, four, five bases we want you on or the five countries we want you in. Um, and then to get that email, you know, that Monday and saying, here are our target bases in the continental United States. 
um, that we want you in or to get that email from somebody who's interested in or operating a purely boy franchise. That's, that's the, those are the things that get me excited. Um, in Midtown, what gets me excited is, are to see the improved styling times of a stylist who was a little shaky at first. That's exciting. Um, and to see the staff ready to grow with you. Um, on the flip side of that question, um, I'm impassioned about lifting up and taking with or sending the elevator over or down for people who look like me. What is sad is that a lot of us aren't ready. And man, how I wish they were. And how the mindset sometimes can be, well, why don't you get me ready? And it's like, I can't grow this and grow you. Um, and so you find that when you're ready for certain people to plug in certain people at certain positions, they don't look like you, um, especially in this industry, because, and that's okay. Um, but you, you go, oh man, okay. That's kind of how it is. You go, oh man, how I wish you did, but you don't. Um, and then they're kind of all oh, man, because they wish they could. Um, and it saddens me because I've had, I, in the past, I've worked with people who wanted Paralee Boyd to wait for them to learn how to be a manager or wait for them to learn how to, you know, look at a data sheet, read the data from the salon that we collect. We are a data-driven salon and make decisions based on the numbers. Uh, well, wait till I can learn it. Well, why don't you teach me? And it's, I don't think we really under, that's again, that business component. Um, I had a staff meeting with my with my staff recently. And I said, here are the list of opportunities coming up for Paralee Boyd. They're not coming tomorrow. They're not coming in six months. They'll probably come between nine months and a year. These are the positions we're going to need to fill. I want to fill these positions with the women who are sitting here, but you need to be qualified. So you have this time frame to do what you need to do to get even remotely qualified to fill this position. And now it's up to them. And I had one young lady say to me a while ago, you know, how do I have, I'm a young woman, I'm 24, I've got three kids. How do I get ready for that after I come to work for you? And that is the American story. Success is made by a mother with three kids who works. And when those babies were in bed, got at that dining room table or that kitchen counter, sat at that laptop and got to work. Then you wonder how that mother has graduated with three kids at 25 years old with her law degree from Harvard, right? Because when she fed the kids, went to work and she did it. And at night, nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, she got to work. And so I wish I saw a lot more of that with us. I wish I saw a lot more of that drive um, with us. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying I don't see it at all. I do see it. I just wish I saw more of it, a lot more of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how bad do you want it? Um, it's, it reminds me of one of those quotes. Uh, I think it was Les Brown, like you got to be willing to do what others won't do in order to have what others, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta be willing to do the hard yep. things that most people won't do. Yep. You have to be willing to go unseen. You have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. You have to move without fear or feeling you have an authority over you. Your boss is not your landlord. 
you. The only, the, my only boss is God. <laughs> That's it. I love my mom though, but God, right? My mama, yeah, she got me. She, you know, she, Dana, come here. Yes, ma'am. Right. She got me, but God, and God's got me too. And I'm doing his work. I could not have made it this far without him. Girl, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Some of the stuff, places he's put me in, the mountains he's moved. Oh my goodness. And so the, the bill, the hard letter to read, the staff member quitting, that doesn't rule you. There are, there's a force bigger than you. Once you give up to it and you succumb to just say, okay, surrender, you start to see things moving. Um, but you also have to be, I found a lot of entrepreneurs have a problem not being seen. They want you to see them, right? I need to be seen. I need you to think I'm a boss. Um, and the most successful business people I know, you don't even know who they are because they're, they're working. Um, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people in entrepreneurship need and want to be liked. They care what other people think. I want to be liked. I want to be seen. That's not the recipe for successive growth. That's been my humble opinion. It might be for some people, right? But for Paralee Boy, the recipe, I, I don't think I'd be where I was if I were worried about my Instagram following. I'm worried about my operations. I'm worried about the corporate structure for having, you know, five to 10 locations in Europe. That's, that's what I'm, you know, I'm not stopping in. Hey, Brandy, hang on, let me take a picture. Right, like, <laughs> that's not, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. I just know that the people in my circle, um, the people that I can pick up the phone and call, um, that's not what we're doing when we talk about what we're doing. Um, and I've noticed as I've grown, the people in my circle are not local. They're not in Detroit. I think I got like one person here, um, but most of my people are in other places. My circle are business owners from, you know, and they're all ahead of me right? They're all $50 million a year, $20 million a year revenue companies. And not that their revenue matters, but the work they did to get there is what I glean from and how our, how we, and they see the potential in me and want to share their tips and tricks for the trade. My mentor, Jay Golds is amazing when it comes to grabbing my chin and focusing me and saying, Hey, <laughs> focus on this because you're human and you worry and you do get scared and you want to quit. Let me tell you something, Brandy, March of 2020, this was a wrap. Do you was <laughs> done? I said, you know what? You can have this. And I was seriously going to quit. Thought about getting my cannabis license and growing marijuana here right. in Michigan <laughs> and, or, and writing a book a romance novel and self-publishing. This was a wrap. Um, but as my dear friend, April Anderson of Good Cakes and Bakes reminds me, imagine if you had quit a year ago, you wouldn't be getting ready to have two locations on Fort Bragg. You wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be getting ready to franchise your business. Keep going. And that's what I do. I just keep going. Awesome. It sounds like you have a great support system and I can't really express enough to people how important that is. You, you talked about mentors and people that you connected with in your circle and all of those things. Um, so share with us how that has been very pivotal for you in your business. Girl, <laughs> let's talk. There are entrepreneurs out there. There are budding entrepreneurs 
that have it all wrong about your support system. I say this all the time. Just because that person sat next to you at the funeral, just because that person held that baby bottle for you, just because that person was at your birthday party when you were 20 or eight, does not mean that that is your, a part of your support system in business. We are, human beings are mammals. We are mammals. Mammals thrive off of having like-minded, like-doing people around them. Not saying that people who aren't doing what you're doing can't support you, but I have found that the more I do with Parley Boyd, the people from my past, we separate. And I start to attract people more in tune with where I'm going versus where I've been. And, and a lot of people have a hard time with that. I had a conversation with an entrepreneur at dinner a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, but, but that's my cousin. And I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, you can, you can stay there if you want to. But the reason why you're having all of this drama is because you guys are no longer in the same clan. Right. And, and you had the courage to do something that a lot of people don't have the courage to do. And that's OK. But it doesn't mean they want to be constantly reminded of it. They don't want to be reminded of your courage. And so I've advised several entrepreneurs who were like, why is my family not supporting me? I just built this location. Why haven't they come to visit me? I said, because you're no longer communicating on their wavelength. Have a baby, get married, graduate, get promoted. That's on their wavelength right? Opening a second location of your, of your business is not, they're proud of you. They're happy for you, but you're no longer communicating on your wavelength. Closing your series, your series A, yep, it's a lot of money, but you're not communicating on their wavelength. I, you know, got some press for being in a front, you know, being the first African-American woman to franchise a hair salon. And there were people around me that that didn't communicate on their wavelength. They're wondering when I'm getting married because I'm engaged. So when are you getting married? Because marriage communicates on their wavelength. Being the first African-American hair salon franchisor, although proud of me, it doesn't communicate on, my, on your wavelength. So you find that you start gravitating towards people who are communicating, who can see what you're doing and want to take you to lunch because they're so proud of you, right? Um, and not only do they want to take you lunch because they're proud of you, but they want to talk to you about that work, right? And they want to talk to you about what's going on in your head and what you're thinking about. So my support network are people who may not have franchised. A lot of them aren't even in my industry, but are people who have been in year eight in a business and have looked to expand locally with seven locations locally um, or regionally. They're the owner of a regional chain of something and even nationally. Um, and they're excited for me because they say, we'll finally know somebody who's expanding internationally. Um, but I, I could no, no more important words, Brandy, could be expressed to entrepreneurs about the support. Make sure that your support, I'll say this, just like you wanna make sure your staff is qualified, you want to make sure your, your, your support is qualified. If you wouldn't hire your cousin to answer the phone, right? You may not answer, you know, hire your cousin to be your supporter as you it, it set out on your vision. I'm just saying. 
Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there because I think sometimes entrepreneurs get that mixed up because we think that our family and friends should support us and we get all bent out of shape. But why they're not, what's going on? But what it is, is as you're leveling up and you're, especially as an entrepreneur, you don't really understand it unless you're in it. You don't understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur unless you're in it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, I was talking to someone and they're in the process of opening a salon. And, and, and that they said something to me that this person was saying and that person was saying. And I said, okay, you need to get you some entrepreneur friends. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. because the, the stuff that the people were saying, is, is she an entrepreneur? And then she was like, no. And I was like, is he an entrepreneur? Like, no. I said, no. You need to get you some entrepreneur friends. It's really mm-hmm. important. It's really mm-hmm. important to connect with people to understand and get it. Because it can be lonely otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes that does happen. You know, you can't take everybody with you. Everybody's mm-hmm. not going to understand. And you know how it is. We we talk about our businesses all the time. It's in our base. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're building something. So we have a lot going on. And mm-hmm. a lot of people can't handle that. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. And that's why mm-hmm. that happens. And that's okay. You can send them a Christmas card, go to the birthday party, but you can't be around them every day. Mm-hmm. And you and they, they may not show up for all of your business stuff. And that's okay. Yeah. You need to get a group of business. And that's why I have a business bestie. And we talk to an important girl. Oh my God, I'm trying to do this. And you know, you I have that. an entrepreneurial sister. I called her today. When I tell you through hook or crook, I listen, Linda. <laughs> Listen, and you know what just like when you're finding a service provider when you're looking for support you're going to kiss a lot of frogs right and some people are qualified today and won't be qualified tomorrow i have found that with the trajectory of my business there are going to be a lot of people who are not qualified to talk to you know if i were listening to that conversation or if i want that conversation with the salon owner that you talk to you want them to get to a point where you they don't you don't even know what they're saying right because your focus is so here. Your focus is so narrow. It's so straight ahead. You might veer left, veer right to see what's going on around you. But I'll be honest with you, Brandy, I've gotten to a point where I don't even interact on social media. I don't have time. I'm literally about to be the first black woman with a military contract. I'm glad your kids started seventh grade. My- <laughs> I'm so happy for you, right? And not to take away from that. I have literally had conversations with people. I can't be who you need me to be. That's not who I am anymore. And I'm not saying I'm better than, but my unadulterated, uninterrupted focus is on building this. And some people, why? You don't have any kids. I mean, you know, I have a child. It's right there on Woodward. 3939 Woodward Avenue. It's about four and a half years old. That's my baby. Right. And I'm about to give birth to two more down in North Carolina. And I'm about to give birth to about two more at Ramstein Air Force Base. Like I've got children, um, not not technically, of course. But again, you know, I'm p- please feel free to share this with future entrepreneurs that you talk to when they get frustrated and they learn that lesson of entrepreneurship. Let them know you're communicating on a completely different wavelength because the world has not taught us to function like this. The world has taught us to function differently and to, to care about the, the, you know, the monuments of life. I'm not saying you don't, um, but the entrepreneurial stepping stones and monument and are not in monuments in life are not as widely accepted as a marriage. 
or a kid. Like that's what my family, oh, when she getting married. And I'm like, do you not realize what I'm doing? Like, uh, okay. We might, and, and I quite frankly, now what's wonderful is that I have a partner who gets it, even though he's not an entrepreneur, he gets it. His thing is like, you know, when we got engaged, he said, yeah, so planning a ceremony, not really in the timeline right now. Why don't we just run to the justice of the peace on our way to dinner? Because <laughs> I just want to marry you. I don't care, right? And I'm with him. Um, so we're just probably going to go run to the justice of peace because there's a business to marriage. And I need him to be my husband as I pursue this. Um, for business reasons, something happens to me. I need him to be able to speak. I need him to be able to sign the paperwork. Um, and we'll have a ceremony at some point, um, but in the interim, we just need to go get married. But yeah, I, I really think it's important that entrepreneurs understand that not, not only can you not take everybody with you, you, probably shouldn't. It should be a very solitary commitment to your craft. It should be, but again, it's hard because you need to be seen. You wanna be liked, it's hard, right? And I always tell entrepreneurs, sweetie, when I've talked to people, I said, sweetie, this is not a job promotion. Entrepreneurship is not a job promotion. You, a lot of the work will go unseen as it should. Move quietly, move quietly. Great, great advice, great advice. So as for Marilyn Dow, I remember something you said early on, which was, it was three things that you didn't know when you opened the Southfield location, marketing, marketing, marketing. So I want you to give us like three marketing tips that you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey. Um, it's so funny you should ask that because I'm finding that in the marketing that we are doing, it's about me being seen and I hate it. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, Randy. They're like, Dana, we need more content of you. I'm like, I don't want, take pictures of the hair. I don't want content of me. They say, but if you notice, every time we post a picture of you, this post is doing 90% better than, and I'm like, Lord. So three things is, as this with any other facet of your business, be it finance, you know, operations, marketing, hire someone that knows how to do it. I'm not a marketing person. I care about it, but I don't want to do it. I don't... I don't want to stop and take a picture of stuff. I don't care. Like, I don't care, right? I don't care about the likes. I don't. I, and I, I care about the structure. I care about the product. I care about the chemical components of the things we're putting on our guest hair. I care about water quality. That's what I care about. I care about staff morale. That's what I really care about are my people, right? And so with marketing, hire someone who can do it. Um, get as knowledgeable as you can about it so you can supervise the people who are doing it um, and be clear about your expectations. What do you want? That was something I, I was like, oh, you'll do it. And the next thing I know, I'm like, God, this really isn't working. Well, because you told them just do what they do. You didn't communicate what your expectations are. You need to communicate what your expectations are, know what to expect so you can manage them um, and hire good people that are in line with your vision. I had once a while ago hired a marketing team that just couldn't get their mind around the fact that we were walk-in only. So they kept saying, yeah, make your appointment today. And I'm like, we don't take appointments. Mm. 
So that they <laughs> were like, we mm-hmm. don't take appointments. Ah. So you want to make sure that they get it. Um, and the fourth thing I'll say, minimize paying people to try. A lot of people will see an entrepreneur's need for a service as an opportunity, will convince you all day that they can do it. Then they do something and you literally just spent thousands of dollars to pay them to try. They really didn't do it. Um, talk to them about if they truly can do it and get examples of when they've done it before. And if they haven't done it before, have them give you an idea of how they're gonna do it for you before you cut them a check. I can't tell you how much money I've wasted paying somebody to try. And as entrepreneurs, we don't have that kind of money, nor do we have that kind of time. That's it. Great advice, great advice, Dana. So you. you talked a lot about, you know, people not being ready and prepared, especially like if you're looking at someone who wants to open up a Purely Boy location, want to, you know, open up one of the franchise. What advice would you give someone that, you know, wants to either, you know, franchise under your company or company like yours? What advice would you give that person? Specifically for Parley Boy, you need to be in believe, you need to believe in the vision. You need to believe in the problem we're solving for. The money will come, but you need to believe in what we're doing. I will probably say no to a lot of people who see the profit. And I and I don't I don't have a problem with that. But these first couple entrepreneurs, they need to be on this mission to solve this problem for women that look like me. Period. They need to be on this mission to empower the women that sit in their chairs and the women that work behind their chairs. They need to be on this mission with me. Um, And you need to want to be impassioned. You need to want to solve the problem. Preferably if you felt the problem and you know the delay it's causing your life because as a little boy, your mother was gone all day Saturday at the salon or as a grown man, your wife is gone all day, or as a woman, you see your daughter sitting there all day and there's other things you can be doing. Um, This is a truly revolutionary business. And if you're in it because it's revolutionary and there's the money involved, well then go own a Subway. You make a lot of money doing Subway. You don't have to own a Parallel Boy. That would be my advice. And even, it might even be a stretch for other franchises, but believe in what you're doing because there's a a mountain of work. And if you don't believe in what you're doing, you're gonna burn out and then the franchise isn't gonna make any money and you're gonna blame the franchisor when in essence you started on the wrong footing. You didn't believe in it, you just wanted to check. You just didn't wanna work for somebody else. No, you're gonna work for your customers. Your customers are gonna be your boss. You're gonna work for your to-do list. That's who your boss is. My boss is Paralee Boyd and sometimes it requires that I work to two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning and I get up and I go to work. So people, I don't want to work for anybody. Okay. You're going to get a harder boss when you work for yourself than when you do, you know, John Doe. Um, yeah. When it comes to franchising, the if you're not in it to solve for it, then this isn't the franchise for you. And that's with any franchise. If that's the case, you can go open anything, put a team in place and turn out something really quickly and get a profit. But that's not who we're looking for here. We're looking for people who are ready to be involved in this revolutionary hair care experience because they know the impact we're about to make. What? 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 Like, <laughs> the impact we're about to make? Girl, 
Yes. Yeah, so, to me, this feels like Coca-Cola. This feels like Coca-Cola in the early 1900s. Like imagine being a part of Coca-Cola in the early days or imagine being a part of Ford when Ford just had notes on a notebook. It's amazing. Yeah. So let's forecast a little bit. Okay. Let's five years from now. Where's Paralee Boyd? Paralee Boyd is on military basis. Paralee Boyd has uh, roughly 20, maybe 40 locations on the way to 50. Um, you know, they projected more, but we'll see. Um, and Paralee Boyd is looking like she either is going to expand some more or sell. Paralee Boyd is, you know, I'll, I'll be approaching 50. And um, I think that's a good retirement age for me. I'd like to retire now, but, you know, whatever. Um, I'm still too involved. I'm still too curious. I still want to know well, what's happening. I'm not ready to walk away. Um, I care too much still. Not that I won't care. I'll care less, but I will have had so many experiences. I will be able to answer my questions. I won't wonder what if, because I would have already done it in five years. So in five years, we are an international brand um, with products in major chains, Sephora, um, Target, Ulta, Nordstrom. Um, we're a major brand. We've got locations around the world based on our military installations. And because of our military installations, the, the countries, the host countries have said, hey, you want to put one here? And we're like, okay. Um, and our franchises are supported. They're happy and fat. <laughs> and um, Dana is looking to get ready to sell for what I hope to be the highest selling point for any uh, personal care, hair care brand in the, in the world. That's what I'm hoping. I love it, Dana. Speak it into existence, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking that because you made me speak it. <laughs> yeah, speak it you into existence. Speak it. Yep. Also, also with Dana, it has been so uh, wonderful it talking with you and learning more brand, about your business. Tell everybody how they can find you and reach you online and all those great things. Yeah, so feel free to stop by at paraleeboy.com, see what we're doing as far as our, our new, we have a new charcoal clay mask treatment that we're really excited about, um, or a Dead Sea mud mask. It's the charcoal's on its way. The Dead Sea mud mask is what we have. Um, we just introduced two new products, a hydration leave-in conditioner and a silkening heat protectant shine serum. Very, very good products based on, we're hydrators, we're hair treaters, right? We're, we're very deliberate about our ingredients and putting in our hair. We want you to have a head full of hair at 94, right? Thick hair at 94. And so we do that by hydrating your hair at 24. Um, and hopefully you stick with our brand of products consistently. So you will have a head full of hair at 94. So you can see at me or at paraleeboy.com. I'm also at I am Dana White on Instagram and at paraleeboyd on Instagram. If you want to follow the salon, it's at paraleeboyd. And if you want to check in with me and see how I'm doing with skeet shooting and working with my notebook spread out and how I feel after a photo shoot when my feet are throbbing you can check me out at i am dana white on instagram awesome dana i'll make sure i leave all of those links in the show notes and one more last thing is can you tell someone how would they go about contacting you for franchising if they're interested in that as well yep we're still in the early days we're putting our franchise agreement together so legally all i can say is please feel free to contact us at 
franchise at paraleeboy.com. That's franchise at paraleeboy.com. Did you like my newscaster voice? I <laughs> loved it. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome. Check out Thank Dana you. White at Paraly Boy everywhere. Make sure you check all the information will be in the show notes. As always, stay great and we're out. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Make sure you subscribe. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I want to hear from you. Email me at info at businessbeautynetwork.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I am Brandy Taylor and Facebook at I am Brandy Taylor. I want to connect with you. So let's stay connected. And remember that all things are possible if you only believe. Stay great. <laughs>